So um, I was thinking about the term uh, FOMO, right? You know, FOMO, fear of missing out. That's what it stands for. And I was thinking about that, that term. Acronym? What is it? Acronym, I guess. I was thinking about that, and I thought to myself, I don't really think that FOMO is accurate to describe what we feel. Because not a lot of us, I think, really feel that we are afraid of missing out on something. You know, I think that implies that you want to be there for a moment. Like a moment might happen and you're not there for it and so you've missed out on some kind of experience. Some of us feel that, right? But if we actually felt that more, then it would drive us into probably more social interaction. Like if you feared to miss out, then you would be the type of person who goes out all the time because you feel like, oh no, if I stay home or if I'm alone, then I can't... What am I going to do? And you would live under this kind of... And I think some of us do feel that. But the thing that hits us, I think the thing that makes us feel alone isn't really FOMO. Maybe FOMO is kind of a... It's not quite the correct term. So I came up with a couple other terms. Uh, one I thought of was FONBI. <laughs> right? F-O-N-B-I. Fear of not being invited. Because I think this is actually a greater fear than FOMO, right? More than missing out on what's happening, we fear that we are not involved, that we are not part of the group. So when you see something on social media and maybe you're not there or something already happened and you didn't know about it, you feel like, oh, no, am I, am I not part of it? You know, or FOBLO, <laughs> Which, F-O-B-L-O, which stands for fear of being left out. Because I think these are the things that really describe what we feel more than FOMO. Right? FOMO is kind of the idea that something's happening out there and, you know, oh no, you're missing it. But I don't think that's what we feel. I think what we feel is, if I already missed it, what does it say about me? Am I not part of it? Am I not part of the group? Am I not as close to so-and-so as I thought I was? Am I not as involved? You know, am I not as loved? Am I not cared for? Do I not have what other people have? That's what really hurts, right? It's not, it's not what's happening out there that you're missing. It's what it implies about you and your relationships. Now, if you ever feel that, if you ever feel disconnected from others, uh, you should take some solace in the fact that you're not alone in that feeling, right? A, a 2018 report found that uh, many Americans are lonely and younger adults appear to be the hardest hit. Uh, this study, it was published by Cigna, found that 46% uh, of U.S. adults report sometimes or always feeling lonely. And 47% report feeling left out. Now, Cigna, which is a kind of a research organization, calls those epidemic levels. These are epidemic levels of loneliness. This was also reported back in 2017. The former Surgeon General was like, we have a loneliness crisis in America. What's more, only around half of Americans say they have meaningful in-person social interactions on a daily basis, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending time with family members. 
Now, why? Because this has been on my mind a lot, these particular things. I've been talking about it a lot the past few months, I'd say. Uh, Loneliness, anxiety, depression, suicide, addiction. These are the things kind of plaguing uh, society at the moment. You know, and I thought about loneliness, and I was thinking, what, why are these feelings, why is that feeling so powerful? And, and what mechanism do we have in Christ, you know, as Christians, to counteract that? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, the book of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, uh, our, main, our main text is really just one verse, John 1, 12, but we're going to uh, start in verse 1. We'll get some of the context around it. Um, John 1, 1, and uh, this is God's word, and it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the word. Now, this word, word, the word, word, <laughs> um, refers to Jesus. Now, we'll, we'll see that later in the passage. In fact, well, we're actually not going to go through the entire passage, but you can, if you read the context of the passage, if you read through this passage, you see later on they, they say the word is Jesus. Now, the way that this starts in the beginning is the same way another book of the Bible starts. Uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This starts with in the beginning. Now, for a Jewish reader uh, reading that or anyone who's familiar with the Bible, if you read that, you would be reminded of Genesis. So you would think about in the beginning. In the beginning, at the creation of the world is what Genesis refers to, right? The creation of existence, essentially, the creation of the universe. You could think of it that way too, but it's mostly focused on the world, right? In the beginning, God created. Now this says, in the beginning was the word. So it's kind of going before the beginning, at least where Genesis starts. So before the beginning was the word, was Jesus already there, already in existence. And the reason that this word, word, is used here to, re- to refer to Jesus, why don't they just say Jesus here? Well, in Stoic philosophy, so this word, logos, that's the Greek word for word. Uh, in Stoic philosophy, it was used to refer to the principle of reason, which Greeks believed governed the universe, in Jewish philosophy or Jewish understanding, word was also an important word. It would, it would draw people to the idea of God's word. So there would be this idea of God's word. And remember, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created with his word, right? He just speaks things, and then they come into existence. So in both Stoic Greek philosophy and in Jewish kind of religious philosophy, the understanding of word was significant, that there was this, there is this guiding principle for the universe, this, this truth. And this truth is Jesus. Now, we are talking about adoption today, the idea of what it means to be adopted by God. But before we can even talk about that, 
which this passage references later on in verse 12, which is our main text. We have to start with who Jesus is before that. Because who Jesus is, Jesus is omnipotent, pre-existent creator God. It says right here, he was in the beginning with God. So he is both God and with God. Reference to the Trinity. Also, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means everything was created through Jesus, and nothing that has been created was created without Jesus. That's what my own kids say, by the way, sometimes. They're like, too loud. They get all scared when I talk loud. They think I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm just excited, right? I'm passionate. (laughs) What the heck am I talking about? The Word is pre-existing God. Creator God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Now, okay, why does this matter? Why do I even have to talk about this as a premise or as a, almost a pre-point to our real point? Now, in our world, we have become overly impressed, maybe distracted by really, I, I wish I could put this another way, but I'm just going to say dumb stuff. Do you, do you guys know, just trivia, okay? Random trivia. Do you know what is the most viewed YouTube video of all time? Do you guys know? What was it? What you say? Baby Shark. <laughs> no. Maybe in the Zimmer household, but not, not worldwide. <laughs> Does anyone, anyone else know? Just, just guess anything. What do, you, what do you guys think? Baby? Just me, your baby. That was that's up there. It's it was for a while, but it's not the number one now. Despacito. That's right. <laughs> that is Despacito. The 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 video of a song that most people only know one word of <laughs> is the number one viewed video of all time. It has six point six billion views on YouTube. I mean, nothing against Despacito, right? Like, it's catchy. That's fine. But isn't it? Like, what does it say about us as humanity that that is the most viewed video? Because I thought about it. I was like, man, that's pretty. Because I didn't know what the answer was before I looked it up. And I looked it up, and I was kind of like, oh, man, that's, that's it? Like, if aliens came to the planet, and if they were like, I wonder what this planet is about. And they get on the internet, and they're like, hey, there's YouTube, and there's this, there's this platform where we can find out what people are most interested in in the world. It is Despacito. I mean, they would be like, so I guess Spanish is the language of this planet, and this is what they're all about. This is, this is what the culture cares about. This, this is what the values, this is where they're at. As far as first impressions go between us and the aliens, I would be a little bit disappointed. If that's not an indication of how dumb (laughs) humanity is, not that that's a viewed video, that that is the most viewed video in history. If that's not an indication that our priorities are not in order, then I'm not sure what is. Like, it's all messed up. You know, if I told you 20 years ago that one of the first things you're going to do when you wake up in the morning is 
you know, when you have a free moment, you're going to get an update from a hundred random friends. They're just going to tell you what they're doing. <laughs> like, not even, you don't pick. It's just a hundred of, of just your random friends or family members. They're going to tell you what they're doing, you know, like what coffee they're drinking or like what's their lunch or like, you know, just how they're feeling that day, what they watched last night. Like if I told you 20 years ago, that's, that's going to be just a part of your life every day. That's, that's something you're going to regularly do and you're going to actually care about. If you told me that 20 years ago, I was in high school 20 years ago, almost done with high school 20 years ago, I would be like, that's stupid. I'm never going to do that. That makes no sense. Why in the world would I care about a hundred of my random friends and acquaintances and what they're doing? And yet, that's where we're at today. We feel the need to be up to date on our friends' lunch items and recent coffee orders, but we are content to be pretty fuzzy about things like what's going on in Iran or who's running for president or what are the needs of my neighbors. I don't really know those things, but I know what so-and-so had for dinner last night, and I know that so-and-so was hanging out two weeks ago we need to recalibrate what we think is important. This is one of the great things about coming to church because you remember, like you can't sing something like, how great is our God, and still be thinking about somebody's post. Like you just can't. All of a sudden, when, you, when you're like, name above all names, you're not also thinking about, like, Netflix. Those, they don't exist in the same category. Those two things are not in the same zip code. See, I, I love that because I love worshiping. And I feel it, too, right? It's not like, I'm like, oh, you guys. I'm like, I feel, like, when I'm sitting there praising, you know, a lot of times I'm brought to tears because I think, what was I doing all week? Like, here's, here's creator God that we are free to worship. What, what was I doing? Like what, what was I doing yesterday? This Jesus, whom you have access to today, to be in a relationship with, this Jesus is not just another person. This isn't just someone on your feed. This isn't just an acquaintance that you have in your life. This is omnipotent, pre-existent creator God who wants to be in relationship with you. The idea of that reality is what we're here today to both wrap our heads around and experience. Now let's move on. To verse 12, we're going to skip down a little bit. And, and John goes through the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus comes. You know, he's the light of the world, the light that came to bring life. He comes into the world. He reveals himself to his own people, and his own people reject him, referring to the Jews. And then in verse 12, there is this from John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, now simple point. Here's the main point for today. Jesus, parentheses, preexistent, omnipotent, creator God, that Jesus, became like us so that we could become like him through adoption. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him through adoption. Now, I will break down all of that and, and what we mean by that. Uh, now, this passage, passage, verse 12 specifically, references the theological idea of adoption, even though the word adoption is not used there. Paul uses it later, and we'll look at some of that in a little bit. But the idea is that we can become children of God. So God came to his own people. The Jews was rejected. But to anyone who would receive him or believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Not exactly like Jesus. This is what is implied by the notion of adoption. Not exactly like Jesus because we are not like the biological children of God in a sense that Jesus is. Jesus is exactly like God, the Father, the Son from the Father, Because he is God. But we, though not being that kind of direct biological, are adopted in a different sense. We are not born like God in that sense, like Jesus is. But God chooses us. He loves us. And he adopts us into his family, if we believe and receive. Now, throughout the Bible, this we have to understand some of these terms. Now, to understand adoption, we have to understand what it means to be an orphan. Because you wouldn't need adoption unless you were an orphan. Now, uh, throughout the Bible, God reveals that he has a special place in his heart for particularly orphans and widows. So there are four vulnerable classes that are usually talked about in the Bible. It's orphans, widows, the poor, and refugees. But particularly orphans and widows are singled out even more. Right, so this is from uh, Psalm 68, and you can find this all throughout the Bible. I just picked one passage to show an example. This is Psalm 68, 4 through 5. Sing to God, sing praises to him, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. The name, uh, I'm sorry, his name is the Lord or Yahweh. Whenever the Lord appears like that, with all caps, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that's referring to Yahweh, the proper name of God. Exalt before him. And then verse 5, so he's saying who he is. These are his, this is his title. He says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So God even identifies himself this way. He even says, this is who I am. I am father of the fatherless. I am the protector of widows. So he says, Yahweh, this is who Yahweh God is. Now, he identifies himself in other ways. It's not the only way. But it's significant if that's one of the things you are to say to you. That's one of the titles that you identify yourself with. If I came up to you and I said, hey, my name is Joe, the guitarist. You know, you would be like, oh, you must be good at guitar, right? Or else, why else would I say that? That's a weird thing to say, right? And then I play guitar and you're like, you're not that good at guitar. Why do you identify yourself that way? That would be weird. So it has to be part of who you are, right? And this is part of what God chooses, the way that God chooses to identify himself, father of the fatherless. Now, God cares for 
orphans and widows so much because they are particularly vulnerable, especially in this time, right? In a patriarchal society, without a man in the household, so widows would not have a husband. You know, it's that they had a husband and then the husband died or, or for some reason they are estranged. Now, usually it's died. And so if you, if you had a husband and the husband died, and oftentimes the widows would be a little bit older, but mortality, you know, was lower, right? So, I mean, or higher, I should say. So people would die sooner for, for periods of time, maybe in like Jesus' time, especially in the old, old Testament, they lived longer and then they lived shorter and then they, you know, now we're at where we're at now. And so if you didn't have a husband, you wouldn't be able to, especially if you had a husband and then you lost your husband, uh, nobody would want to marry you, and so you'd be single pretty much for the rest of your life, and you would have a hard time. And so God actually put in mechanisms within society to take care of these vulnerable classes, orphans, widows, orphans too. If your father ran away, then people aren't going to want to take care of an orphaned child. So he put that into the law that, hey, you've got to take care of these classes, and then poor people, and then refugees, People who have, who have no uh, country. People who have no mechanism to provide for themselves. Now, if we all need adoption from God, that means in some sense we've all been orphaned. In fact, let's look at this. This is from John 8, 41. It says, you are doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus is having a debate with some of the Jewish leaders. And they're talking about that their father's Abraham and that they're Israelites and this is their line. They're not illegitimate. And Jesus is like, oh, you're doing what your father did. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, God's our father. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do, you not, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, this is one of those passages that you don't have to, that you know you don't have to try to be offensive to be a Christian, right? Because the Bible itself is pretty offensive. Jesus spoke this truth that offended many people, everyone who was there, and they wanted to kill him afterwards. Because the implications of his statement are pretty insulting. Your father is the devil, Jesus is saying something about the spiritual condition of those who can't see him, right? When he comes into the world, John refers to him as the light of life. He is the light of life. But when people look at him, they don't see the light of life. He says, if you knew God, if God were really your father, you would see me. You would know me. You would understand me because I'm the light of life and I came from God the father. God's not your father. He says, Satan is your father because that's the one that you follow. 
Because that's the one whose will you want to practice. Because he is the one who looks appealing to you, who looks like life to you, who looks like light to you. The things that he wants to do, his lies you have bought, you have eaten it up. And he says, if that's where you're at, then that's your dad. See, according to Jesus here, our former, if you are in Christ, then your former illegitimate father is the devil who has no claim on you, but who holds power over all who are outside of Christ. Like a slave master. Like an illegitimate abusive father. And too often, Christians... Too often people, maybe it's because of the culture of the world, maybe it's just because of the state of where we're at, we continue to choose to be enslaved by him. To tragically, as is the case in the world, see his spiritual abuse as care, as love, as good. And then when we're low, He abandons us. He runs away. Satan's not there for you when you're low, when you're down. He wants you to get there, but when you get there, he's not there. He's gone. He enticed you, telling you, oh, it would be great. It would be great to do all the things that he wants you to do. But when you're there, he's not there for you. We are, without Christ, spiritual orphans, fatherless children of wrath susceptible to spiritual abuse, vulnerable and unprotected, struggling to carve out some meaning and purpose for ourselves in this world. See, my belief is that the core of our loneliness is that we have been abused and abandoned by our former father. Not our legitimate father, our illegitimate father, the prince of the air, the prince of this world. And here's how God addresses that. He says, to all who would receive and believe, he gave the right, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know what it doesn't say? It says the right, the power, the authority. It doesn't say he burdened. He didn't say he gave the burden of becoming children of God. It doesn't say to all who received him, who believed in his name. He burdened with the responsibility of becoming children of God. Because that's a lie. That's what Satan told you. That Jesus is a burden. That the light of life in the world that came from God is a burden. The word That the word, the pre-existent word who wants to have a relationship with you is a burden. No, it says he gave the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to say no to your illegitimate, abusive father who has abandoned you. And to say yes to a good father, a gracious father who doesn't want to take from you, the creator of existence who wants to give you the power and authority that comes from being his adopted child. Not born of flesh, not born of will, but born of God. 
what Ephesians 1 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Pay attention here. It says, in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Before the foundation of the world was established, before the creation of anything, in love, God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. See, the thing is, we think about God from time to time. But God has been thinking about you from before the creation of the universe. Now, it's hard to imagine that God loves us that way. It is. Now, I, maybe it's because of the way that we were brought up. Maybe it's because of what we experienced with our father, our earthly fathers. You know, maybe it's because we project some of their shortcomings or failures onto Father God. But it's hard to imagine that God loves me the way that I love, you know, my sons. Right? Like, you know, Micah recently, he started basketball. And, you know, he's, he's, he's four, right? And he's doing basketball, and, you know, he's terrible. Right? But, um, but so, so are all the kids. So he's not particularly terrible. Everybody's terrible. You know, nobody knows. They can't play at that age, right? They all just kind of run around, and they're just, like, having fun, right? And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, I'm there, and I'll take him there. And I'm just, like, proud of him because he, he is able to overcome some of his, like, fear and anxiety even just going there. And it's like every time we go there, he's, like, freaked out. All the kids are, like, shooting around and stuff. And they have these, you know, really low rims and small balls. And they're, like, playing. And he's always freaked out at the beginning. He's just like has to hold my hand and just like we have to wait. I have to wait until he kind of calms down and like he settles in. And then once he settles in, you know, he's fine and he's, he's running around. He's going crazy. And it's funny because when he's playing the game, they do games. And when they're playing the games, I'm sitting in the stands with all the other parents. And it's like I can hear what all the parents around me are saying. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I have to yell, though. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I've <laughs> – and so, I, you know, I can hear them, right? So everybody's, like – everybody's chattering and stuff, and I'm, like, recording. I'm trying to, like, record Micah, and I'm yelling out stuff to him too, right? And it's like everybody in the stands is watching a different game, right? Because everybody's just focused on their kid. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, look at, look at what he did. Look at Aaron. You know, <laughs> they're all saying, they're like, look at Greg. You know, and they're all just like, oh, good job. But, you know, and they're like, oh, he fell down. And it's stuff that, like, when they say it, I kind of hear it on the periphery. But I don't see it because I'm not watching their kid. You know, I'm watching my kid. So I'm only paying attention to my kid, and I'm seeing what he's doing. And I remember every little thing that he does 
right? It's like, oh, yeah, he, he tripped and he fell, you know, he dribbled the ball, you know, like, good job, right? Like, one time, and then it went out of bounds. Like, that's, you know, so I'm focused on what he's doing. I can see everything that he does, and afterwards I can even talk to him about it. I can recall, like, his every play and, like, everything that happened with him because I was only paying attention to him. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy, and I'm, I'm happy for him, and I'm proud of him. And that's what you hear from every parent. Now, it's hard. It is. It's hard to imagine. Like, I know Micah doesn't understand how much I love him. It's not possible for him. Because he's, he he's barely lived life. Right? And he doesn't know anything about me, you know, except what he's, the, the past, you know, four years of his life, right? That's, that's not enough to really understand and for us, I know it's hard to think that that's how God loves you. It is. I know when you think about God. See, we do these really weird things, right? You know, like if you haven't, if you haven't been doing well, you know, we say like, how, how's your walk doing? You know, or how are you doing? You know, how's your spiritual life? Something. These are the terms we use, right? Have you been in the Word? And usually, if we feel like we haven't, if we feel far from God, our response is to run away from him. That's what we do, right? If you feel like you haven't been doing a good job with God, if you, have, if you don't feel close to God, then you think the solution is I have to get away from God. I have to get further away from God. Why do we do that? That doesn't make sense, right? Like if your goal is to be close to God, going away from him, is never going to accomplish that. Running away from him or running away from community or running away from church or running away from whatever is never going to make you closer to God. That, that's counterintuitive. It's like saying, I want to get closer, you know, to, to so-and-so. I'm, I'm just going to pick on you, Isaac, because you're sitting in the front. If I want to get closer to Isaac, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be closer to Isaac. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ignore him. I'm never going to text him. You know, I'm never going to talk to him. If I see him in the, you know, if I see him just around, I'm going to just shun him, Right? Like, that is, that is the way that I'm going to get closer to like, And it, we would all say, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. But that's kind of the way that we are with God, right? Now, why do we do that? Because we're scared. Because we think God is not this loving father who delights to be with us. We think God is this kind of judgmental, cold, hard dad who expects us to perform well to get good grades to get a good job read your bible every day pray every day do missions give you know be consistent uh you better you better do that if you don't do that then god's going to be upset when you come to him that's not god god's a loving father that's how the illegitimate father was that's not how God is. In fact, do you know how God accomplished adoption? Our adoption. Right? The text says, the word became flesh. So Jesus, preexistent creator God, took on flesh, a literal physical body, which he had never been confined to before. In fact, came into the world not as a man, but as a baby, and was 
essentially humiliated for the entirety of his life and then extra humiliated when he was tried unfairly, executed unjustly, who died for us so that we could be adopted by God. The, the only begotten, biological, essentially child of God the Father who was completely without sin came became like us, died so that we could become like him, so we could have this relationship with God. Jesus offers adoption. God offers, I should say, God the Father offers adoption freely to all who receive and believe. Now quickly, I'll I'll close with a little bit of application. First, Seek to care for the vulnerable like God does. Seek out the vulnerable and seek to care for them. That's part of our purpose. Now, I actually wanted to talk about adoption, actual adoption, you know, adopting a child, because that is part of, it is a a shadow of what God the Father does for us, for all of us. Right? It is a way to step into what God's heart for the orphaned in the world, which is all of his children. But I don't know if that's kind of the place where our church is at at the moment. It is something, though, that if it's in the back of your mind, I would say think about and pray about and find out information, you know, get information about. But f- what I'll say that all of us can participate in is this gospel love and compassion and empathy, particularly for those who are vulnerable, who are most outcasted, who have no net, right? The FOMO, you know, Fonby, Fablo, the terms that I have coined, which you're all going to use now, that, that life is when we are so concerned about who's our friends, and it's kind of a sad life. That's not God's heart. He is seeking out people who need friends, who need help. And he's trying to help them. So I would say that is uh, one way we can apply is care for the vulnerable like God does. Secondly, share in both joy and sorrow with your brothers and sisters. I'm going to touch on this very briefly, and we'll go over this in in coming weeks. But if we're all adopted, here's what it means. It means we were all orphaned. That's the history that all of us share. right? Whatever your experience was in your actual nuclear family, like your, your biological family, all of us spiritually were under an illegitimate, abusive father in Satan. And for those of us who are in Christ, we share the joy of knowing Christ and walking in freedom and newness. We share the experience of adoption. That's, that is fundamentally what we share as Christians. That's, that's fundamentally what all people on earth, Christian or not, are invited into in Christ. And so I would say just, just make use of that. Utilize that. 
right? Share, because then that's what makes us brothers and sisters. That's not like just a term that we use kind of like, hey, you're my brother, you know, you're my sister, like a, just some kind of cliche thing that we say. It's because of this incredible theological reality that we enjoy. Now, third and most importantly, okay, receive and believe God as your legitimate father, a good, gracious, loving father. Here's one way you can do that. One even more specific way you can do that. Whenever you feel sad or alone, pray. Now, I know because we don't do it. Now, I know we don't do it. I don't do it. Because, like, you, you do that, right? Like, you see something on social media, and then you're like, oh, no, you know? And then the Fonby hits, right? It's like, oh, man, the fear of not being invited, you know? And you're like, I'm not included, you know? And, like, what you do is instead of, like, praying in that moment, because you could, right? You could just be like, you know what, God? Like, I feel sad or I feel alone. Like, how come I'm not there? You know, and legitimately, here's what would happen. God would remind you how much he loves you. Right, you know why you don't do it, right? Because you're like, this is stupid. Like, this is too stupid to pray for. This is too small for me to take to God. Or you lose. At some, you know, like you lose. And like that would legitimately, this doesn't happen anymore because I've pretty much given, on, given up hope um, in basketball. But there would legitimately be times where I would like play basketball at the gym and I'd be so upset afterwards. Like it would, it would legitimately affect my emotions. But I wouldn't pray to God. I wouldn't be like, God, you know what? Like, like, help me not be so upset right now. I would just be like, ah, just, you know, and, I, and, and what I would do is I would go to my illegitimate father, and I would be like, give me something. You know, help me feel good about this. Right, give me, give me a game to distract me, or give me a show to watch, or give me something I can just drown my sorrows in. Give me some substance. Give me some place. Like, put me somewhere where I can, I can numb this. You know, so the thing about Micah is, you know, and I, I tell you guys this stuff about, like, his anxiety and stuff, right? And the thing is, somehow he has come to believe that um, being anxious or being worried or being sad is bad, right? That he's doing something wrong if that's happening. And so he tries to suppress it, right, himself, like oftentimes he'll be he'll be having some kind of episode, right? And you know, and, and maybe I have like maybe I've conveyed this to him. I hope not, because I don't want to. But like, oh, this is bad, so I have to shut it down. Because I'll ask him, I'll be like, "What's wrong? Like, how are you feeling?" And he's actually pretty um, emotionally intelligent for his age, because he can express like how he's feeling. But he won't want to, because he'll think if I say that I'm scared or if I say that I'm sad, then I'm doing something wrong. You know, so he'll be scared to say that to me. And he doesn't, he doesn't get, like, what I'm feeling. Because I don't feel, I don't feel bad for him saying that, right? Like, that's what I want. I want to know, I want him to share his, of course, I can intuit it myself. I can, I can figure out why he is the way, you know, what's going on. But I want him to say it. I want him to share it with me, to say, like, oh, this, I feel this way. I'm scared. Or I'm sad because this happened. And that's why I'm crying. And I want him to just cry and to comfort him. I know it's hard to believe that that is the way God looks at you. 
like that. He sees when we feel like something's wrong. And he feels it more than we feel it. And he understands it better than we understand it. That when he looks at you, it's not with disappointing or judging eyes. But he delights to rescue you repeatedly from the illegitimate claims of Satan, the lies of the world, and your own self-destructive patterns. For we were created to be adopted by a loving Father through faith in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we know that what we find in you is never judgment and disappointment that would undermine the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. We know that Jesus coming and being righteous for us is 100% enough to cover over all of our sin, all of our mistakes. We know that Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead completely, completely covers our shame, our pain, our weakness. And what you delight to do for us when we still, because we still sin, God, and we still fail and we still make mistakes. And we still feel alone at times, God. We still feel sad at times. But you delight to love and to comfort us. You delight to care for us. You delight to reveal your love and grace to us. You delight to tell us, you are my adopted child. I chose you before the creation of the world. You sometimes think about me, but I've been thinking about you for eternity. Help us, God, to receive and believe Christ, that we may walk with you, our good, beloved, gracious, caring Father. We thank you. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.